Hey y'all, my name's Carly, and I'm just gonna start off and say I am the most competitive person here. Whether it's driving or sports or eating or, well, I don't really like to run, so probably not that, but I am so competitive. And it all started through softball. When I was younger, I would see younger girls and they would work really hard. And so I was like, dang, I want to work hard too and be successful. And so I did. Um, actually, a few, a few years ago, there was this girl um, on my softball team. And she tried out and she made the team. And like, she played my position. And I was like, oh, no, that's not about to happen. Like, we're going to have to draw a line right here. You can go to another team. But... She made the team. She was awesome. Like, this girl was 10 times better than me. And so I'm thinking, like, how can I slip my way in here? How can I, uh, how can I take her spot? And so I saw in practice that she got so lazy. Like, this girl, she's like, I hate practice. And I'm like, boom, there, there it is. I'm going to outwork her. And so I did. I stink and work my butt off, and <laughs> I did. I worked so hard, and I'm like, I'm going to beat this girl out. And so I did. And this, uh, this mindset of competitiveness, um, I brought into my spiritual life. I, I read the Bible all the time. I prayed every day. And um, the days where I would forget to read, I would, like, double up the next day. Just whatever I had to do. Even, like, when I wrote the word God and I accidentally put a lowercase g, I would like cross it out and put a capital G just because I felt bad. <laughs> and so a few months ago, I am sitting at this conference with our, our youth group and this guy's talking and he's like, we can't give anything to earn God's love. We can't work for it. We can't, we can't do anything to earn his love. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, that is me. I'm trying to do all these things. I'm trying to read every day. I'm trying to pray all the time just so God will love me. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, that is me. And I realized, even though I, I, knew, I knew Jesus, I understood Jesus and I understood grace, something caused me to believe that I had to, like, meet God halfway. That I had to do my part in order to fully receive his love. Um, so at the conference, the guy continues and says, there's no amount of good works that could ever repay Jesus for what he did on the cross. And that hit, that hit home with me. I, uh, I, I just, I don't know, it just hit home. <laughs> Although Jesus calls us to work so hard, Jesus calls us to, to go out and make disciples of all nations, um, I was working for the thing that I already had. I was working for the thing that had already been won, and that's his love. And sometimes when I forget that or when I go back to the old me, I, um, I go back to this verse, Ephesians 2.8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. I was once so lost, so confused, unable to comprehend the idea of a free gift. But now, because of God... I live with a mindset knowing that we are loved, that I am loved. And I'm not here to repay him for the debt that I felt like I owed, but to help rescue others just, just as he rescued me. <clears throat> I realize that with him, we don't have to have this weight on our shoulders. With him, we don't have to help be held down by our own performance. And with him, we don't have to earn a love that has already been won.
All right. Good job, Carly. Give it up. That was amazing. All right. Open with me in your Bibles. Oh, my name is Chase Carter, by the way. Uh, no, no, no. I'm not that special. Trust me. Okay, so open up your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 37, and we're going to be in the Old Testament. You know what? I'm, I was debating whether or not to say this, but you know what? I feel like every time someone just comes up the stage and just starts with the Bible straight up, that it should always be in a southern accent for some reason, like I'm this down south preacher. Open with me in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 37, and I have no idea why. Maybe it's because teachers don't have, well, teachers of the word, don't have the most easiest transitions. Um, I don't know, like the comedians have the little thing where they notice someone in the audience and they kind of do their whole act based on that. And so, I, well, for me, I'm just not that interesting. So I'm just going to read from the Bible. Is that okay with you guys? And I'll kind of try to do the best I can to explain what it means. Um, but uh, we'll see what happens. So I'm very excited. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited you guys are here tonight. Okay, let's get it done. Let me find my place. All right, Ezekiel chapter 37. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? And I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tennis to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. I looked, and the tenants and the flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up, and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Oh, my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up out of them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. Now, that's a lot to take in, right? 14 verses, I didn't stop once. So I'm going to try to break it down and explain to you what it means to the best I can. So before Ezekiel's very eyes, there's these bones, and he's just walking through a field of bones. And you all live in Texas. We've all driven past old bones of dead various animals, you know, et cetera, and, you know, it's kind of disgusting. But, um, and uh, I don't, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm trying to go, I'm, not, I'm trying to stay focused. Okay. So, <laughs> before Ezekiel's eyes, these bones came together, assembling skeletons into skin. And this is not some fun little story or parable that didn't actually happen. It's kind of like a metaphor. Like, this is real life. Like, this is, this is 
God used Ezekiel to, to make bones come to life. Like that, that's like a real thing that actually happened. And you think, what is the relevance of this story? It seems all over the place. You know, this guy's just standing out in a field with a bunch of bones. It's like, okay, man, what's the point? What's going on? So basically. <laughs> so. But Ezekiel gets to see what God wants him to see. Because he did what God wanted him to do. In verse 3, it says, He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. Ezekiel doesn't pretend to have the answer. He just says, God, you're all powerful. You know what the heck you're doing. So I'm just going to have a little bit of faith and let you do what you do best. Don't miss that. And how many times do we try to act like God needs our help when he calls us to do something? Our extent of the job is to do what he says and not to question him or to reach for the sword and try to defend him. God's got enough power on his own. We don't need to defend him. And we don't need to question him either because he knows what's best for us. So when we know that will, it's our job to put that will into action. It's not our job to say, well, God, let me get my two cents in here, God. I know he created the world and everything, but I have a 2-4 GPA, and uh, I just want to let you know that here's how I would do it. God doesn't, God doesn't need all that. Uh, there's nothing wrong with having a 2-4 GPA because never mind. Um, <laughs> so God saw the army before he told Ezekiel to do anything. God saw potential in a place where he wanted a servant to do the work. So that something incredible could happen. Are you going to act on what God calls you to do instead of asking him to give you something better? Ezekiel was so willing to throw this task up to God before he even knew the beauty of his hard work was coming. He would do the nitty gritty dirty work with the bones and got to see the army. Ezekiel had hands of faith. And let me tell you something, students. In our schools... In our town, and even in this ministry, we, bones, we see bones all the time. And we, when we see bones, it's not our job, contrary to popular belief, to sweep them up and sweep them under the rug. It's our obligation and our calling to have a little bit of faith and to get a little uncomfortable and to make disciples. Because that is the main point of Christianity, the main point of the gospel. And guess what? You're not going to be in a perfect little niche your whole life to where you know exactly what you're going to do. And, and this is how God is going to use me. I'm going to be in this church, and I'm going to have this person come with me. And that's just, life happens, guys. It's not like that. It's not our job to tell God what he needs to do. It's our job to do what God wants us to do. And if we just have a tiny bit of faith, we can put that into action in a way like we've never seen before. Let me keep going. When we see the bones, the Lord asks us, what are you going to do about it? Ask yourself this. Are you prepared to tell someone about Jesus at any moment? If someone was to come up to you at lunch room and be like, hey, man, tell me about this Jesus guy, you'd be like, hopefully you'd have an answer ready. Because in 2 Timothy 4.2, don't turn there, I'm just going to read it. It says, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. When I heard that verse... It changed my life because I thought the Christianity, or well, not Christianity as a whole, but in terms of evangelism, that was just in season and out of season. Didn't there was no such thing to me. There was just oh, we're going to church, we're going to learn, and then on Wednesday night we're going to worship. 
and maybe tell someone about God if they ask, but ugh, just, I don't know, that's not really my calling, that's not my love language, you know, you know, all that different stuff. But Timothy, well, Paul writing to Timothy says, be prepared in season and out of season. The Bible tells us that dead things come to life when we are obedient. All these things in the world, none of them are ever going to touch the feeling you get when God speaks through you to lead someone to Christ. And let me tell you something. God does not see dry bones in you. He's looking out into a vast army. He sees the army before the bones are even put together. So how do we have hands of faith and hearts of readiness? I'm going to give you four steps. Write these down. Step one, we have to be in the world, but not of the world. We have to understand how the bones think, but not lie down in the bones. Understand that they are a person just like you. When you're talking to someone, you, gotta, you don't scoop down to their level because there's no level to be had. The foot of the cross is level ground. It's a flat surface. Does that make sense? We have to be in the world, but not of the world. Step two, don't ever tell yourself that you're not good enough to do something amazing for the Lord. We can make an impact on so many more people if we don't let the, the world stop us. God chooses the unchoosable living proof right here. If God picked favorites, I would not be standing up here right now. That's a fact. And I know people in this room have seen me do some terrible things that I regret deeply. But God chooses the unchoosable. God loved me when I couldn't love myself. So don't get bogged down in your sin and allow yourself to say, well, I guess, you know, I just struggle with this, so I can't do this and this and that. That's, there's literally no part of here that says this. You have, to be, you have been handpicked to do something great, and now it's our job to put our faith into action. Step three, broaden your horizons and don't be afraid to try new things. Like I said, Christianity is not about knowing exactly how God's going to use you. It's about opening up your heart and working hard where he places you. Someone videotaping me over there? Um, when you work in the unglamorous position, God will honor that. We all have a role in the body of Christ. Don't miss your role because you were too busy trying to work for the lead. Do what God says. Work where he places you. Step four, and the final thing I'm going to say before I go. Stay rooted in the word and constantly ask God what his will is. We have to know the will of God to do the will of God. And people are going to hate you for it. And that's an unpopular thing to say, but that's just the, that's just the honest truth. You can't be everybody's best friend. But you have to hold God's will in such a high esteem that everything else comes in second place. And you can't know what God's will is if you don't ask him. And if you don't get rooted inside the word. Know what it says, do what it says. Have a little bit of faith like Ezekiel. When you see a bone, when you see bones, say God sees an army. If we have faith to do these things, we can do the work that God has put us here to do. Sometimes we feel like all hope is lost, but through the eyes of faith, we see an army. Let me pray for us and then I'm going to come. Father, thank you for this day, Lord. I just love you so much. I thank you for the ability that you've given me to get up here and preach this message, God. I pray that it would be none of it from me, Father. And I pray that if one person would walk out of here and have something from it, God, that that would, be, that would, that, that would glorify you in that, Lord. I love you so much, and I just thank you for this. I thank you for these students, God, and I pray that someone would come to know you tonight. I love you, and I thank you for all that you've done in my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you, guys.
Hey, y'all. My name is Emily, and I love to say yes to people. Now, I was lucky to have been raised in a home with two loving parents who loved to do things for others. Whether it was my dad mowing the next-door neighbor's lawn just to help him out, or my mom taking time out of her day to help me wash my car, my parents have always been very giving people, and so it rubbed off onto me as well. I love to say yes to people whenever they ask me for help or whenever I see that it's needed. My problem isn't so much that I say yes, but that I don't know how to say no. Now, am I saying that I struggle with saying no to doing the dishes after dinner? <laughs> Not at all. Um, what I'm saying is that I have a hard time saying no to doing things for others. If one of you were to come up here and ask me to do some kind of favor for you, there's a 99% chance that the answer would be yes. Unless you, like, ask me to help you get a cockroach out of the bathroom, it's not going to happen and I'm not going to feel bad about it. I've always been caught up with trying to please others and make sure that they're taken care of before taking care of myself. In doing this, it has damaged their relationship with my parents and with Christ in more ways than I could have ever wanted. For instance, when I continually say yes to people, it books up my days like crazy and it takes time away from my studies. As a result, my grades start to suffer which then cost me a lot of arguments with my parents, and we all know that's never good. And when I say argue, y'all, I don't just mean like a quick little predicament and we're over it the next day, but I mean I wouldn't talk to my parents for days because those arguments would get so bad. And trust me, <laughs> I saw what it was doing to my, my parents and I, and I saw what it was doing to our relationship, but I was too selfish and way too caught up in what I wanted and what I thought I needed to do anything about it. Not only did these arguments stem from my grades, but because I was never home. All of my yeses took so much time away from me that I was never home and I never saw my family. That in itself did enough damage because I was saying yes to doing everything with everybody else except for my family. And don't get me wrong, they made me aware of where my priorities were and, what it, and all the problems that it was causing. But, I mean, I didn't do anything about it because, of course, they were wrong and I'm always right. Along with these crazy busy days, not only was I taking time away from my responsibilities, but ultimately, it was taking time away from the Lord. I would tell myself that it was okay, though, that God knew my intentions and he knew that they were good because I was helping others, so he understood why I never had time for him. I was putting all my time and efforts into pleasing others and then pleasing myself, leaving no time for the Lord, even if it was just a few minutes in the morning. And y'all, the Lord really didn't hold back in showing me that. Slowly but surely, everything started to fall apart, and I was grounded a lot, like, a lot. And it resulted in me sitting alone in my bedroom a lot of nights. <laughs> but honestly, those nights in my bedroom, they turned out to be a blessing in disguise. Those nights in my bedroom, they brought me to a place where I couldn't say yes to anybody. So whenever Christ called, all I could do was say yes. In that moment, I felt a peace like never before. Because the only person that I could say yes to, or that I wanted to say yes to, was God. Everything that my parents had been trying to tell me, and that the Lord had been trying to show me, finally clicked in that moment. I had become really good at saying yes to all the people, except the only people who ultimately wanted the best for me, which was God and my parents. I can tell you that a life without Christ in the center is chaotic, and that's exactly what mine had become. Few attitudes will cripple your life more and cause you to miss God's plan for you than that fear of rejection and that need to try to please everyone. 
In John 15, 5, the Bible says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Y'all, time with the Lord and making sure he is the center of all we do is so crucial. And it has taught me two major things in life. One, it's that my parents really did know what they were talking about. And two, that I have to start saying no to others in order for me to say yes to God. Thanks. Tonight, we have uh, been able to hear three awesome students give awesome stories of their lives and awesome stories from the Bible about something that God did. And as I sat there and I thought about it and I listened to these incredible students talk about their lives, I realized that, that each one of their stories had one thing in common. That each one of their stories had the common denominator and that common denominator was God was in their life. That there was a time in their life where they decided that they'd been saying, like Emily said, that they'd been saying yes to so many things that she didn't leave room for God. I love, love that last line that she said, that she said that in order for her to say yes to God, she had to say no to a ton of other things. And I think if you're real with yourself tonight, and if I'm real with myself tonight, there's things in my life that are, and your lives, that are, that are keeping us back from God. And some of you in here, you're saying, maybe you're right, and, and maybe you are right, but I, but I already have a relationship with God. I know that I can come to God whenever I want. But I also believe that there's some of you that have walked in here tonight, maybe not knowing what you were coming to, or maybe not really fully understanding what it was going to be like. But God began to speak into your life. That through these three students, that God, that, that you realize tonight that you don't have a relationship with God. That you realize that you've been saying yes to so much of the world. That you've been saying yes to so many different things that you have never said yes to God. And I want tonight to be the night that you say yes to God for the first time. So if you would, I, I, this, is, this is the story. A long time ago, in a garden, Adam and Eve sinned, which created sin to come into the world. So that me and you today were born with this sinful nature. That me and you are today are born sinners, the Bible tells us. And the Bible also tells us that because of our sin, that we were separated from God. So, but God loved you so much, and God loved me so much, that he said, there has to be a way. I need to make a way so that these people, that which I have created, can have a relationship with me, and ultimately spend eternity in heaven. And he did that, and his name was Jesus. And he came to the earth, and he lived a sinless life. So like me and you sin all the time, he never sinned. And then they put him on a cross, and he died, taking our sin, because the penalty for our sin was death, the Bible tells us. The Bible says that the wages for our sin is death. And Jesus took that death when he hung on the cross. And then he laid in a grave for three days. And he rose out of that grave to show that when we have a relationship with God, that you and I have a relationship with God, that we too can rise. And we can spend eternity with God in heaven. So I want one of you tonight to say, I believe one of you need to say yes to God tonight. That one of you have heard this story about Jesus and you're saying, this is what I need. That the world, it doesn't have it. And I've been there. 
that the world didn't have it for me and I needed to say yes to God and I want to give you that opportunity right now. So if you would, I want you to bow your heads with me. If you have never ever said yes to God and you know that tonight is your night, I want you to pray this prayer. 